Good to see everybody. Let's just greet everybody at all of our campuses. Say hello um, from Mountain Road to Edgewood and Abingdon, Aberdeen. Everybody online, good to be with you today. We do start this new series. And as we get going, a question for you. Do you know of a story that begins with the phrase, in the beginning? Yeah, in a room like this, yeah, you probably know those are the first words of the Bible. And if you don't know, that's fine. But if you do, then I would guess that you also know the next word, in the beginning, God. Yeah, we're introduced to a God. Now, which God and what this God is like, well, you have to keep reading to find out. And there's tons to discover as this compelling picture of the world begins to unfold in the book of Genesis. And if you're a human type, which many of you are, you would be interested to know the unique place that humans fit within this whole story. But of course, a lot of you already do know that. You, you have that insight. And if you know, you know. You've got that understanding. And uh, you've seen how the Bible accounts for this reality that we're a part of. If you know, you know. It's a phrase maybe you have used before. It is used to uh, identify that there's an experience. There's some knowledge or a point of reference that some people have. Not everybody is in on it. But maybe like an inside joke. When a best man stands up to give a speech at the wedding reception as he's saying all the dumb stuff that he says, inevitably he's going to say something that 10% of the people laugh at. If you know, you know. Or if you are uh, not from Maryland, uh, hope that you have enough milk and toilet paper when there is a snowflake in the weather forecast because those shelves are going to be empty. If you know, you know. Don't be late to the store, right? We're going to be jumping into a part of the Bible today and all during this time leading up to Easter that is designed to help us be in the know. Like a local maybe trying to help an outsider get accustomed and adjusted to a new place, the author of the Gospel of John is writing for people who didn't know what he knew, who didn't see what he saw. And for 20 chapters, John goes on chronicling the life of Jesus and then his death and his resurrection. And then near the end, he summarizes in this way in chapter 20 and verse 30. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. John's a disciple. And I didn't write all of those things down in this book. But these ones that I have written down are written so that you would know. So that you would be able to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And that if you believe, if you have that kind of faith, well then you would have life in his name. John is giving the gift of what he's seen and heard. John gives the world the story of Jesus. With incredible artistry, he paints the portrait of Jesus. And he did it a long time ago in a land far, far away. But 20 centuries later, is there anything that our world needs more right now than to see Jesus for who Jesus really is? I mean, there are a lot of counterfeits, cheap knockoff versions of a Ned Flanders nice guy Jesus or some inspirational speaker Jesus or someone who did cool party tricks like maybe it would have earned him a spot on America's Got Talent. But none of those images of Jesus need to be taken seriously. John, though, is dead serious when he says, if you know, you know. If you truly know and embrace what you see in Jesus, oh, then the life that opens up to you, it's like a whole new world. I don't know if John knew that his testimony would reverberate around the world for 200 decades. But 200 years ago, it took root. 
in this community called Mountain Christian Church. And we know that Jesus is still making himself known and that his desire is for the true message about him to echo within the chambers of our hearts and the recesses of our brains. Because if you know, you know. And Jesus really wants us to know. So let's go. Sorry, it's not a Dr. Seuss book, but... It is the Bible, and if you have one, go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, it's uh, about right there in the New Testament, John 1. And just in verse 1, go ahead and someone uh, read the first three words of John 1. Anyone who has it open or whatever room you're sitting in, go ahead and say it out loud. Out loud. First three words of John chapter 1. In the beginning. Do you know of a story that begins with the phrase, in the beginning? Yeah, of course you do. And John knows what he's doing when he begins to tell the story about Jesus in this way. In the beginning was the Word. If you know, you know, that's John's way of referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's lofty. You've heard the phrase, go big or go home. Well, John starts big. You say, no, I thought this was just a story about some, you know, carpenter from a backwater town. No, there's more that's going on here. John, I think, must have had a copy of Jesus' resume. In fact, archaeologists just dug it up, and there you can see impressive work experience, design and development of the cosmos. I've seen people flower up their LinkedIn profile, but never anything quite like that. Don't judge Jesus too quickly and assume that you know everything about him at first blush, John says. You see, if you're really going to know, well, i got to take you way back to where it started. And we have the same impulse today with all of these documentaries. There's documentaries being created all over the place. I watched one about LeBron James. I skipped the one about Taylor Swift. Uh, <laughs> my boys like football. I said, oh, there's a documentary on Barry Sanders. You've got to watch Barry Sanders run. You've never seen anything like it. And that's precisely John's point when it comes to Jesus. He continues in verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let me take you way back, John says, to before all the beauty and order that you take for granted today. To a time when chaos swirled and darkness reigned over the face of the earth. Nothing was alive except the Spirit of God. Hovering, breathing, poised like a sprinter in the starting blocks, ready to explode with power when God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. That God, with that power, filled with that spirit, has run down the track of history that he laid to now stand in sandals before you. If you know, then you know. The true light that give, gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And right there, I think we've got it. That's the first scene of the documentary that I want to make about Jesus. This is what people need to know, according to John. And, well, he starts big in order to make the message clear. I can think of some times in life um, where I would say, I I'm seeing everything clearly. You know what I mean? Like you... Uh, 
You're able to make sense of life. You're sure of what you've experienced. You're confident. Your faith in whatever you have faith in is strong. Feel like you got a grasp on reality and you can articulate that at least to yourself in such a way that you're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing in life. If you talk to a person who's been baptized recently, whatever the details of their particular story, you'll usually find them operating with a newfound confidence. Something new has been made clear to them. In their case, it has to do with this fresh realization of who Jesus is. Somehow it now makes sense. There's been a breakthrough. Uh, A longing has been met. Uh, Something that was empty has now been filled up, and it's energizing them down this new path. And it has tons of unfamiliar turns to it, but they're striding ahead. You experience something like that? Or maybe any number of other similar situations. Maybe you just made a big decision. And it happened after a long period of deliberation in which you believe you got the answers you were looking for. Or you've had a transition in life, and it was hard or messy or unjust or whatever, but now, no, you've accepted the circumstances, and you're resolved to move ahead. Or there's some new beginning, a second chance, a new blessing or opportunity, or a fresh insight, some aha moment that is enlightening your path forward, and it's energizing you to go along. Can you think of a time like that? You know what it's like to be in that moment? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what it's like to forget that moment? The the vigor that we once had to go forth boldly, it's gone. What we were once so sure of is now flooded by doubt. I used to know my purpose, and I just don't anymore. My faith used to be so strong, and it's not anymore. Things were going so great. I was free. I was thriving. I wasn't fearful. I wasn't bitter, but not anymore. I just just know there was a time when I was committed to doing the right thing, and I was clear about what that was, and I just knew I was going to follow through. But now it's like... Where is that? I can't can't find my good intentions anywhere. I I know God was real. I I experienced God as real. I I think it was real, but was it? I can't even remember. And the thing about forgetting is that it can lead to feeling so much shame. And that's a problem. Or it can lead to feeling no shame. And that's a problem. I'm familiar with both of those problems. I suspect most of us resonate with these experiences, having gone through them ourselves, internally wrestling, seeking to to find our way. Well, according to John, these aren't um, experiences isolated to just the personal realm, but they're a reflection of what's playing out on a much larger scale. Well, yeah, you and I individually, we all lose sight of what was once so clear. We lose faith. We lose our way. But John's testimony continues. He's speaking again on this cosmic plane. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he lit the place up. He shone his light for everyone to see. But the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, 
but the world did not receive him. Hmm. It makes me uh, think of a song. Go ahead and say it if you know what comes next after I sing, isn't it ironic? Don't you think a few of you know? If you know, you know. I wasn't sure how many would know that. It's about a 30-year-old song, Alanis Morissette, the song Ironic, still somewhat famous. Now, there's a debate about whether she describes any actual examples of irony, which if not, would be ironic, or if she is just talking about things that are unfortunate, you know, like rain on your wedding day, a free ride when you've already paid, or 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. Okay. Nevertheless, if you know that song, that, uh, that song is in the dictionary of your mind next to the word ironic. And if you hear a song, like, that's what, like my wife, she hears a word and the song comes live. She's probably singing this song right now. Well, what would you call it? If people who their whole lives claim to be walking in the light came face to face with the source of that light and were in the dark. It's ironic, don't you think? Jesus came to them who were his own and they didn't recognize him. Would you recognize Jesus if he came face to face with you? There are caricatures misrepresentations to Jesus all over the place. And our vision is skewed sometimes. Can you be sure that you've seen the real Jesus? It's hard to know. But again, John gives us this picture of Jesus so that we would know. So he continues. Those were just the first 11 verses. And as we said, he's starting big on this grand level. But after the lofty introduction, he gets down on the ground to follow Jesus and show us concretely. He doesn't only talk in terms of the true light was coming into the world. No, he says Jesus went to a wedding with some friends, chapter 2. He was in the world in a real way. Jesus was thirsty and went to a well to get some water, chapter 4. Jesus went into town to go to the festival, chapter 5. He was in the world. Jesus was there. John was there with Jesus, sharing these kinds of experiences with him. And he saw what others saw. Like he said, he didn't write it all down. He does, in chapter 2, detail Jesus is changing the water into the best wine at the wedding. And then later on, in chapter 2, he simply says, many people saw the signs, plural, that Jesus was performing and believed in his name. Uh, uh, The religious Um, leaders of the Jews, Jesus was a Jew, their ruling body, the Pharisees and others, took note of the signs that Jesus was performing, chapter 3. And then in chapter 5, they took special note when Jesus healed a man on their holy day of rest. Rather than rejoice in the healing work, they protested Jesus coloring outside their lines. They didn't know if they could fully trust Jesus. And frankly, it's because he was a threat to their authority. And speaking of not knowing, the man that Jesus healed didn't even know who healed him. Chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. A lot of people still today know that story. And back then, that's a lot of people who were influenced by that event. But at the end of that event, it's not the whole crowd singing Jesus' praises in unison. No, it says many walked away from Jesus that day. 
Things intensify in John 7. It says even his own brothers didn't believe in him. As for the masses, they're not sure what to make of everything that they've seen and heard. Verse 12, among the crowds, there were widespread whispering about Jesus. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, 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 he deceives the people. If you know, you know. Well, nobody seems to know for sure. Now, the uh, controversy, we're used to living in a world where a bunch of people believe one thing and a bunch of people believe the opposite. But what starts to happen at this point in the story of Jesus is that the leaders really begin to influence the discussion. And that's what leaders do. They exert influence. They seek to bring clarity of vision. And these leaders are seeking, all right. They're seeking Jesus, in fact. Oh, good. Well, not exactly. At different times, John reports, these leaders are seeking to arrest Jesus, kill Jesus, or stone Jesus. Jesus doesn't fit their profile. Remember, they're waiting for the Messiah, God's anointed leader, a true king. Because we got a big problem on our hands being ruled by these Roman overlords, and we need someone big enough to get us in power. This guy, Jesus, just acts big, talking all self-important like he's bigger than our temple, bigger than our law. And when we know he's just like some poor kid from West Virginia, and that's mean, and they were being mean. Jesus talks like he's from Harvard. Did he even go to community college? We've been to school. We've read the scriptures. We know Jesus' parents, and it doesn't add up. As for all the wisdom and healing and feeding, walking on water, well, those are tricks of the devil. Jesus came to them who were his own. And his own didn't recognize him. How do you think Jesus felt about that? As all the good he's doing for the people is judged by them to be evil. It's a sad state of affairs. And when we're talking about Jesus' own people, we're not just talking about any group of people. If you know, you know, throughout the history of the world, the God who made the world has demonstrated a commitment to all people, his desire to share his goodness and blessing with all the peoples of the world. And God chose one group of people, these people, to be his conduit of blessing all the nations of the earth. They trace their heritage back to Abraham, whom God blessed and commissioned for this task. You know what God wants Abraham's people to be? A light for all nations. The scriptures that the leaders that were opposed to Jesus claim to know so well, they talk in exactly these terms. But this vision that was once so clear has now gone dim. They've forgotten. It was supposed to be about others, but they've made it about themselves. The people who were chosen to bring God's light to the world, meaning God's justice to the world, God's love to the world, God's peace, God's purity, God's wisdom to the world. All of that was designed to shine through these people who had an intimate connection with the source of all light and life so as to reflect it for everyone to see. 
Well, now, irony of ironies, they can't see. They are in the dark. Their light has gone out. And the darkness that they were supposed to overcome has overtaken them. They are people walking in darkness, clueless, lifeless, hopeless, unplugged from the source. Jesus sees it in their angry eyes and calloused hearts. Their greed and pride and lust for power, the vitriol with which they attack him. And there Jesus is, in their neighborhood, on their level, with them, as they throw shade at his character, trying to overcome him with their darkness. And in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness again, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine a more generous response? For all those trapped in the dark, Jesus has come to lead you Jesus has already said, I didn't come to condemn the world. As dark as it is, my presence here is an expression of God's love for the world. John 3.16, if you know, you know. I'm here to fulfill the blessing of God for all people that began with Abraham. In fact, since you brought him up, Jesus says later in chapter 8, before Abraham was born... I am. Can you think of another story in which that phrase, I am, appears? If you know, you know, that's how the God that created the world, the God of Abraham, appeared and introduced himself to Moses before he led his people out of the slavery and darkness in which they were trapped. Jesus is like, I'm trying to tell you that's on my resume too. Charlton Heston knows it. Christian Bale knows it. They played Moses in the movies. I'm here so that you would know who I am. And that by knowing and believing I am who I am, you would have the light of life. So what you get in the Gospel of John is that there are so many people for whom this is incredible news. The blind receive their sight they see the light. Lame people walk. Dead people are raised. Sinful people are forgiven. The hungry and thirsty are satisfied because the light of Jesus has come into their world. At the same time, there are a number of people for whom you would think that this would be incredible news, but it's not. They claim to already be able to see. The light of Jesus exposes they're blind. They claim to already have life. Well, the light of Jesus shows them on the path to death. They say they're free, but they're slaves to sin. They claim to love God, but hold them up to the light. There's no love of God in them. Light came into the world, but people loved darkness. It's more than irony, it's tragedy. How about for you? 
When the light of Jesus shines into your life, is it good news or bad news? I know light exposes. It's hard. It seems like bad news because we think of all the things that we might be hiding from God. And to think that that might be brought to light, that's frightening. But if sin has darkened us in any way, the light of Jesus shining on us and exposing sin for what it is, is precisely the thing that gives us a chance to be free. To be free from the power of darkness. That's good news. Yes, when you see your sin in light of Jesus, you're ashamed. Oh, I should know better. Oh, I failed the same way a hundred times. Oh, I'm not worthy. No, you don't have to live in shame. Jesus says, bring me what you're ashamed of so I can transform you. Respond to my light. Respond to my love, to my truth, and follow me out of that dark place. I am the one that can lead you out. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to love you and draw you to myself. Or do you love darkness more? I mean, let's be honest. We are more comfy in the dark sometimes. To the point that we even feel no shame. The leaders opposing Jesus felt no shame. They couldn't be wrong. And neither are we. No, my, my hatred for those people is justified. My addictions are my business. I'm not hurting anybody. It's not even a problem anyway. I don't spend too much. I don't talk too much. I don't drink too much. I deserve what I have. I do what I want. Other people are the problem. I don't need to change. All of that seems like really good news until you hold it up to the light. What do you need to bring into the light today? John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about what this promise means to us. What it means to us individually. That we could know that the wisdom of God is available to us to enlighten us in decision-making. To have the ability to discern what's true from what's counterfeit, what's real from what's a lie. We live in a world where everyone is told, speak your truth. Well, nobody's holding their truth up to the light. Every day we're sold tons of things that make promises to us. They'll satisfy us. They'll make our lives better. They'll solve our problems. And so much of it is a lie. Jesus says, I don't want you to be in the dark about that. I will show you a truly better way. There is a way to live your life that works. Follow me. Learn from me. When situations uh, hit and they just seem hopeless, true dark, like lights out, the job loss or sickness or death or renegade children, strife in a family. Jesus says, I will bring light to that dark place in a way that no one or nothing else can. And remember, when Jesus says, follow me, he's on the road to where? To the cross. He's going down a very dark road. His promise is not that our circumstances will never be dark, but that in the darkness we will have light to guide us. Even in the darkness of death, true life can be found by following Jesus. Jesus is living proof. The true light that gives light to the world wants to bring light to my world so that I can walk in the light. That Jesus would illuminate everything about. He would illuminate my parenting. 
so that under his light I would see a true portrait of what love is, what marriage is, so that by following his light I could lead others. I pursue my dreams under his guiding light. I make my mistakes in light of his light. I reset my course according to his light. Whatever I do, I never have to walk in darkness. Think of what that promise means when you see Jesus for who Jesus really is. And then think of what it means on, on that bigger level. Because God still wants to share his blessing with the world. His vision is that the nations would walk by his light. His justice, his love, his peace, his purity, his wisdom, his truth, that all of that would shine in such a way, it's like a whole new world opening up. Now that can't happen if we insist on walking in darkness, but if we will receive the light and walk in the light, well then the world gets a chance to see a vivid picture of who Jesus really is, because it's shown concretely in us. The world might actually believe God loves the world because God's love is in us and goes through us. If you know, you know, the light of the world has dawned. Walk in it. Repent if you need to repent. You know, maybe, maybe you've gone dim. Once you saw the light, but ah, it's been a slow fade. Well, it's the season of Lent. It's the time for all of us to return to the Lord or turn to him for the first time. All who believe in him have the right to be called children of God, John says. Maybe you need to invite a trusted friend to name some of your blind spots, to examine or place some dark parts of your life under the examination light of Jesus. Make sure you let them check those hard-to-reach places, you know, where we keep the bitterness and the pride and the greed and the insecurity. Be honest about what you're keeping in the dark and bring it to Jesus, the light of the world. He wants to shine light into your world so that everyone could see. For whoever follows him will never walk in darkness again but will have the light of life. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus and for giving us the light. I pray that we would be people ready to receive you, that when you come to us, we would recognize you for who you really are. Show us a true vision of Jesus, the light of the world, and may he bring light to our world. We pray in his name. Amen.